Our sermon text for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. If you're able, I'd ask you to rise again for the hearing of God's holy word, and we read it in Jesus' holy name. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, now as we look at Matthew chapter 11, I pray that you would show us our sin, show us our need for a Savior. Lord, bring us to repentance and point us to the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. By your word, strengthen our faith and ready us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So just who was this guy, John the Baptist? Well, Luke records for us that in the days of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah. He had a wife by the name of Elizabeth, and she also came from a priestly line. These two parents loved and feared the Lord. Scripture tells us that they were both righteous and walked blamelessly before God. Now, when we first encounter them, Elizabeth is barren, and both of them are advanced in years. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and proclaimed to him that his wife, Elizabeth, would bear a son. He also tells him that that son should be named John. The angel also told uh, Zechariah about some other things about his son who would soon be born. He said that many would rejoice at his birth, that he would be great before the Lord. Uh, he told him that John should never drink wine or strong drink and promised that John would be uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah, that his mission would be to turn fathers back to their children and turn the disobedient back to the Lord. He was the one who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now, Zechariah didn't trust the words of the angel, and so he was struck dumb. He was unable to speak all the way until the eighth day after John had been born 
and was circumcised. In first century Jewish culture, the eighth day was both the boy's circumcision day and his naming day. And on that day, Zechariah took a tablet and wrote on it, his name is John. And when he did that, his mouth was opened and he could speak freely. Even before John was born, it was clear that he was special, that he was no ordinary child. Luke records that when Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, encountered Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, that John leapt with joy within her womb. John knew who Jesus was, and he believed in him, leaping in joy while still in the womb because he got to meet the Messiah. John lived a life that looked very different from most of the people around him. He wore a garment made out of camel's hair that was roughly woven with a leather belt around his waist. Not only did this outfit contrast pretty drastically what Jesus talks about of the fine clothes in the king's house, it also looked a lot like the garb of an Old Testament priest. We hear from 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, this. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you about these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So John's chosen dress looked like that of an Old Testament prophet. John was a man that stood out even among his peers. John had a strange and simple diet, one of locusts and honey. Now, I'm a fairly adventurous eater. I'll, I'll try anything once or twice, but I don't think I could subsist on nothing but locusts and honey. John's ministry was a strange one. It didn't happen in the major cities. It wasn't in the populated areas. Instead, he ministered to the, into the wilderness. His message was one that was simple. It was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He called people to repent of their sins and be baptized and forgiven. He opposed the religious authorities of his day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, because they were hypocrites. And he called them to repent and believe as well. John was not the Messiah, but he was the one who was sent to make things ready for the Messiah. To make straight the way of the Lord. And he did this by preparing the hearts of mankind. John would end up baptizing Jesus though John knew he wasn't worthy to do it and that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. You see, Jesus was the Messiah, God in the flesh, and John was just a sinful man. He was God's prophet and God's messenger to be sure, but he was not the Messiah. John himself would say, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. John would continue to call out the sin of all who came to see him, he would call them to repent and be baptized so they might be ready for the Messiah. He would fulfill the role of an Old Testament prophet also by calling out the sins of the king. In this case, it was King Herod. Herod had stolen his brother Philip's wife, and John rebuked him and called out his sin for it. John remained faithful even when he faced the fate of many Old Testament prophets as he was imprisoned, 
and then eventually beheaded. You see, John the Baptist, he knew from before his birth who the Messiah was. He spent his entire life pointing to Jesus, making the way ready. He dedicated his life to making things ready for the Messiah that God had promised so many years before. John had confessed that that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one who was coming that was greater than him, whose sandals he wasn't even will or, uh, worthy to untie when Jesus had come to be baptized. But now, in Matthew 11, in the text that we just read, it seems like John, the greatest man ever born of a woman, a man whose whole life has been dedicated to making uh, things ready for Jesus It seems like John has lost his faith. See, John sent his disciples to go to Jesus and to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Really, are you actually the Messiah? Are you the one God promised? Or have I wasted my entire life? Are you God's anointed? Or was my life lived in vain? Are you the one? Or have I made the biggest mistake in history? We have to remember where John is right now. He's in prison. And what you think of when you hear the word prison is is not where John was. When we think of prison today, we we don't think of a place we want to be. We don't think of a place that's nice. But it's still a place where you get three square meals a day. It's a place that's climate controlled, a place where you even have some entertainment, maybe puzzles to put together, a library of books to read, or a TV to watch if you get there first to pick the channel. But where John was, was a dark, dank hole in the fortress of Machaerus, situated on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. John was in a very hopeless, dark place. We don't know exactly when John was imprisoned, but the best guess is that by the time he sends these messengers to Jesus, he's already been in jail there for close to a year. In times of suffering and pain, times where you feel helpless and hopeless, times like that can lead to doubt. And so it's altogether possible that While John rotted away in that fortress dungeon, that doubts began to creep into his mind. Even though the rest of his life was marked with faith in Christ and knowing who the Messiah was in his current circumstances, it's totally possible he began to question everything. You see, we've all been through difficult times in our lives. We've all gone through struggles. I don't think any of us has been locked up in a dungeon in a fortress, but we know what it is to have hard times. In those difficult times where the hits just seem to keep on coming, when things seem to go from bad to worse, when it feels like you you can't get your head above water, in, in those times it's very easy to ask questions like, God, do you really care about me? And to think, God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let this happen, would you? And God, if you are real, if you really truly exist, you'd stop this so I wouldn't suffer so greatly. 
You know, I think if we're being honest and we look back at our lives, we can find those times when life either got very difficult or we got consumed by the cares of this life, whatever the cause may be. And it's possible that you're even going through it now. But we have those times where doubt creeps into our minds. I remember a time shortly after Gretchen and I got married. It was a happy time in life generally. And it wasn't a time where we were disconnected from the church or outside of God's word. We were regular church attenders. I was teaching high school Sunday school. But I continued to struggle with the same sins over and over. I confessed, said, God, I've sinned again. Forgive me. Remove this temptation from me. I don't want to do this anymore. And I wake up the next day and do the same thing. You know, I began to believe that if God really truly loved me, if I was really truly one of his children, well, I should have achieved complete victory over sin by that point. And since I couldn't stop sinning, I kept going back to the same things, I began to question if God was really there. And if he was there, I began to question if he truly loved me. And if he actually loved me, then I was pretty sure the problem was with me and that I could never be good enough to earn God's salvation. I began to believe I had no hope of eternal life with him. It was a pretty hopeless place. You see, we don't have to suffer in a dungeon somewhere to begin to doubt and question whether or not God exists or whether he loves us or or whether we're truly redeemed. Life has enough worries and cares and struggles and we have enough sin to bring doubt into our lives. So is it possible that John began to doubt? Absolutely. Even though his faith was firm from the time he was into the womb to the time he was imprisoned, life and its struggles have a way of creeping in and making us question even the most important of things. But there is also another possibility here. Remember, John himself had said before his imprisonment, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Maybe John wanted his faithful followers to shift their allegiance from him to the Messiah, to Jesus. Think about how our sermon text opens. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. We've gotten so accustomed to hearing Jesus Christ, that oftentimes we blow right past the word Christ. But it's not like that was Jesus' last name. It was a title. It means the anointed one. It was a title for the Messiah. And John sends his disciples to Jesus to verify that he truly is the Christ, the Messiah. It's possible that John was still confident that his disciples needed the encouragement. They needed to see who Jesus was for themselves so they might believe in him. And when they get there and and ask Jesus if if he is the Messiah, Jesus responds by saying, go and tell John everything you've heard and everything that you've seen. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Hear. 
The dead are raised. And the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. You know, it seems a bit like Jesus is ditching John's question until you realize that there's a prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 35 that says this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. You see, what John's disciples saw and what they heard was confirmation that Jesus was truly the Messiah. That he is the one that they had longed and waited for. That he was the one that John had prepared the way for. John's life was not lived in vain. Now we'll never know if John had doubted or if he just wanted his disciples to follow Christ instead. But the response that Jesus gives is a gracious one that would have helped in either situation. It would have uh, comforted John if he was doubting because he, he laid it out. He was the Messiah. But it also would have encouraged the faith of those disciples that Jesus was the Messiah they had longed for and now they could follow him instead of John. You see, Jesus was gracious to both John and to John's disciples. And thankfully, God is gracious to us as well. Because in the midst of our doubts, Jesus continues to come to us. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 1 Peter 3 tells us, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 26, Jesus himself says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, God's word promises us that everything Jesus accomplished with his perfect and sinless life and his all-atoning death is freely given to us in both word and sacrament. Through the Holy Spirit, God continues to call us through word and sacrament to believe. Even in the midst of our doubt, even in the midst of the hardest times of life, God continues to graciously call and to strengthen our faith. When times are hard, when doubts creep in, don't rely on yourself and your own understanding, but instead lean on the promises of God. Because the promises of God never change. And they will always be for you. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage in Matthew 11. Where Jesus, you were gracious to both John and to his disciples. Lord, we have times where we doubt where we struggle, where we have pain, where life is difficult. And we thank you that you continue to call to us. Allow us to hear your call.
your call that shows us our sin, to confess it freely before you, and your call to believe that Christ and his finished work is for us and enough for us. Lord, allow us to trust in that finished work of Jesus and strengthen us for your service, we pray. Amen.